Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of How's That Day. It's a culture rundown with Tom and Phil. I'm Phil Wiedenheft, and I am here to introduce you to my co-host, Mr. Thomas Bond. Each week, Tom and I get together to chat about how our days have been going, and together we work through our thoughts on what's going on in pop culture. This week, I'll start with the same question I ask every week. Tom, how's that day? Hey, Phil. Day's okay. We are... uh in quarantine day um we gotta be close to day 60 by now right i haven't even looked to be honest i think i i consider the the day that the nba canceled their season that night which was the same night tom hanks announced that him and rita wilson had the corona to me that that was kind of day one although the the la uh, stay at home happened a few days later. I think that was the 16th and the NBA canceling its season was the 11th or the 12th. So we're right around the 60 day mark. Uh, yeah, I don't even know if that feels correct or long, like time is is completely erased and for me right now. So it's like, is 60 days a long time ago? It feels like forever ago, but also it's like, oh man, yeah, wasn't that long ago. Maybe this just started. I mean, that's... Uh... If you're a public school kid, that's that's pretty much the length of a summer vacation. Maybe a, a little short on the short end. Yeah, I think they go a little bit longer. Uh, Bell's summer vacation. Like two, two and a half months? Yeah, maybe. Bell's summer vacation, I believe, starts this week. Might even be today. I should check. Well, I remember in school, when I was in school, um, the, the public school in my town got out in early early mid-june and they came back like end of august so i guess two and a half months so we're like two weeks away from a, a summer vacation's worth of quarantine except it's like the worst summer vacation of all time yeah it sucks um other than that my days is okay i guess i don't know it's the same old shit all the time you reading all the fucking time i am reading i uh yeah i wanted to start recommending um each each episode the book's that I'm reading, especially during quarantine, because I feel like my reading is accelerated a little bit. I just finished uh, Portnoy's Complaint by Philip re- Roth. I don't know. If I you read that read like that a year and a half or two years ago. Yeah. Oh man, that that book is hilarious and angry and so. It's messed very up. messed up. Yeah, is, I loved it. It is a delight. I mean, he he basically he created the stereotypical like. Uh, very intellectual, heady, overanalyzing, moralistic, self-deprecating, nebbish yeah. Jew. Like him and Woody Allen. That's yeah. Alex Portnoy. Yeah. Um, and it's but it's just so, it's so NC seventeen. I was not expecting it to be that vulgar for a novel that was written in the early sixties. Right. I, I've read a few Philip Ross. This was probably like my fifth or sixth novel of his. But I all, everything I'd read prior was later in his career like the american pastoral human stain era um so i was not expecting it to be that funny and that vulgar at the same time i really enjoyed it though it was kind of like exactly what i needed yeah it, right now i needed i needed something angry i it. got into it when i was getting into alex ross perry because uh philip roth was a big influence on listen up philip his film and he was just talking he yeah, was talking a that. lot about him in interviews, and I was like, yeah, I should go read some of those, because like you, I'd read American Pastoral and some of the bigger ones, but uh, yeah, that 
cracked me up. And like you said, it's so vulgar. I could probably, it's over on my shelf now. I'm in my bedroom. So I could probably literally go crack it open to almost any page and just find something filthy on it. And uh, it's like, and it's just like the darkest thoughts. And he kind of, I think Shell, I've had discussions with her about it. And she's like, what's appealing about that? I'm like, he's kind of just tapping into like the darkest part of the male id, you know, and he's just like running wild with it. And it's it's like a horror yeah. show, but you're kind of drawn to it. And I think some men recognize the worst of themselves somewhere in there. And you're kind of like embarrassed that somebody else put it on a page to read. Well, I also think there's just something... There, some some artists are just able to get away with a lot more because their style is so enjoyable and Philip Roth's style, the way he writes, is so uh, to me anyway. Obviously, this is my opinion, but it's so entertaining. He can he can hook me on any character on any story. The closest he's ever come to losing me is um, reading the Human Stain, which I still enjoyed. But it got a little too into the self-pitying, like, oh, the the, P- the PC establishment's coming after me main character. And it got a little... He, he lost the humor a little bit too much there for my liking. But for the most part, his language, the way he writes, is just so... It's purely enjoyable. So for that reason alone, it's worthwhile. And it's also... Even if you got nothing greater out of it. But it's it's yeah it's it's so witty and and smart and there's a lot of thoughtfulness behind it even something like Portnoy which is yeah it's basically for those who don't know it's it's basically a confession like a rant this guy is going on presumably to his therapist and Alex Portnoy is this uh, Jewish guy growing up in New Jersey who's the smartest kid in class he ends up taking a governmental position where he helps the disenfranchised. But he just, he just lusts after women and sex, and he just, he just wants to eat pussy. <laughs> That's all he cares about doing. He's never been able to like settle down and have a wife and kids because he's just he's too fucking horny. But like he knows, the, his upbringing, his Jewishness, his own morality conflicts within him where he. He knows he should feel bad about it, but he doesn't. But at the same time, he resents himself and his own behavior because it hasn't allowed him to settle down and have a quote-unquote normal family. But he just, he loves eating pussy too much, so he just can't help it. And it's really great. It's just a really great, really funny Uh movie. I watched, uh, well, I've been, you've been reading, I've been watching this week. Um, speaking of like filthy body, bodily uh, fluids and such, um, and it also relates to our conversation last week. Uh, I watched Capone, Josh Trank's film. Um, and oh boy. Uh, I was I was very concerned for the first like 40 minutes because I was like really enjoying it. And I was like, oh, no, am I going to have to like eat a bunch of crow? Um, but then the movies revealed itself to me. But uh, on the fluids part, I almost like stopped it halfway through to like insist that you watch the movie because Tom Hardy's performance is disgusting. It's just, um, it's so, 
in in the in the article that we read and argued over, there is a lot of mention about him like crapping his pants in yeah. these scenes. Maybe more yeah. Than there's one. three shit scenes in this movie, and um, <laughs> there's and when I say every scene of him is him talking like like through the bottom of his throat oh, uh. and to- talking like that, he's chomping on a cigar the whole time, so he's just hawking loogies and he's constantly throwing up, and he it's basically about the last year. Of of Capone's life and as like this disease eats away at his brain and uh, it's kind of like this really I guess loosely abstract kind of like hazy memory as he tries to like uh, piece together what's real and what's a memory and as you watch this like icon go through these really pitiful kind of like disgusting final days of his life um, which is uh, what really happened to Capone I'll be honest I didn't really like know that or know the details but uh, it's an it's not it's it's not a very deep movie. I think the style I was kind of like really intrigued by for a good stretch at the very beginning and kind of interested to see where it went. And uh, the movie I think eventually reveals itself to be quite empty and not actually have much to say. Uh, so, uh, but what I'm gonna not forget is the disgustingness of this performance. Like it's kind of like something to behold. It's uh, he's giving a Nick Cage level performance in terms of just being so over the top and just loud. And he's just like, yeah, it's just, I was watching the movie and he's just shitting everywhere, throwing up, pissing his pants constantly, like talks with a gargle in his throat through every line. It's just, it's a disgusting movie, but I mean like, uh, the, the gargle sounds even more upsetting than all the shitting, to be honest. I can't stand that type of voice. Not the, um, not even the, what's that, uh, that kind of, like, intentional raspy lilt that some people have? What's the term for that? I don't Frog throat, I don't, throat. I don't know. Like, like that guys used to, like, talk like this and sound a little sexier. Like, not, not that necessarily, but the actual, it sounds like you have food stuck in your throat, which is yeah, he, it's the most he, disgusting he, he deliver. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, we got it, we got That's it. That's his got performance. It. We got it. The, the anti-ASMR. Um, yeah, I heard the reviews were bad. It's, That's too bad. What, where do we think about uh, Tom Hardy's career? I just listened to a gone. I listened to a lengthy podcast about it today, so I've been thinking about it, especially in relation to this movie, because he's really like going for it these days, and he really goes big, and it's weird in that it's like I said, in terms of Capone, it's disgusting, and I feel like there is that element of like I'm never gonna forget it, but I don't know that it's actually a good performance, and uh, right. I well, you comparing him to kind of the insane side of Nicolas Cage's career kind of just jumped out to me as uh, you know I remember around the time of Inception and Bronson kind of happening uh, in a one or two year span and being really blown away by the physical change he put on there yeah um, on top of you know just two two great performances I think in in both of those movies and then he's Ricky Tar and Tinker Taylor like he had a really great I, I feel like a lot of us thought he was going to be the next big, yeah. not only A-list actor, but not, not just a celebrity A-list actor, like an awards-winning dominant Yeah, like we, men- we mentioned like Warrior that. a couple weeks ago. I think he's fantastic in that movie. And then he was cast yeah. as like after the Joker. We're like, holy shit, he's going to be the next uh, 
you know, the Bex Bat villain. Yeah. And then he comes he and gives pain. the craziest yep. performance that like, I, the, I don't think that movie is well remembered, but I think everyone will always be doing Bane impressions, you know, for the rest of their lives. And like I said, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's kind of like Nick Cage and Mandy. It's like, I don't know if it's a good performance. It's interesting. So, but I don't know. Well, I, I, Nick Cage and Mandy, I think, is a good performance. And I also think as someone who, uh, me personally, I I went from uh, liking Dark Knight Rises when I saw it in theaters the first time to really not being a fan of it on a rewatch. And I've seen it again since then in chunks of it. And my opinion isn't that high on that movie overall. I'm not really a fan. But I don't think, I wouldn't put any of the fault of that movie on Tom Hardy's shoulders necessarily. Would you put it on Heinz Ward's? Oh, that football scene. It's not a it's not a good movie anyway. Oh, uh, it's brutal. So I'm 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 looking up Tom Hardy's filmography. And where do we want to start with? He obviously had a small part in Star Trek Nemesis, but I think he he was in Marie Antoinette from 2000 uh, 2006. But I think we all kind of his big breakout critically was Bronson, right? Yeah, he had like you said, he had that run of Bronson, Inception. Uh, he was doing, uh, I think he popped up a, like in the Marie Antoinette's and like small character roles for a little while. But he was handsome Bob and Rock and Rolla, and that that I remember is what blew me away. I saw Bronson in theaters, and then I think I rented. Uh, rock and roll on dvd or something so i saw it after bronson and handsome bob it may have even been you pointing this out to me not that we watched it together but you saying yeah that dude's bronson and i I just couldn't believe it so that as great as his role in bronson is that made it even greater in my estimation so that's 2008 bronson i think is released in 09 and then he starts his like mask period yeah so he has inception in 2010 tinker taylor 2011 Lawless and Warrior, The Dark Knight Rises, Locke comes out in 2013, a very critically acclaimed movie. Um, and then he's in The Drop, which is another like kind of good character, gangster, crime-type movie, but nothing amazing. Mad Max Fury Road in 2015, where he plays Max. Obviously one of the best films of the decade, but I don't think people are remembering it specifically because of his performance. He's of a piece there. Which was um, actually one of my problems with it the first time I saw it. Um, you know, it was just one of those like, oh, Mad Max is not the star of this movie. And that just like really threw me the first time I saw it. Um, but I'm actually watching that movie this week for the podcast for the other podcast I listened to. So I'm excited to revisit that, um, especially since they just announced. Uh, oh, yeah, that's that's one of its strengths, I believe, that he's not the the lead. Well, I mean, yeah, ultimately, you know, I like that it's Charlize's movie, but I, I'm just saying that, yeah, the first time I saw it, I was like, why is Mad Max not a character in this movie? Um, but. Yeah, apparently George Miller just announced that they're they're doing a prequel now. It's been officially like greenlit, and it's going to be bigger than Fury. The Wasteland. Yeah, it's, and it's going to be bigger yeah. than Fury Road, so we'll fucking see what that means. Um, but, and I think that one will probably have Mad Max as the lead. No, I think it's a, it's a Furiosa prequel. They just announced this like yesterday. Oh, well, well I know Max is in it. Oh, but. okay. Which is so that's that's interesting then because they supposedly met for the first time <laughs> during Fury Road, so I don't know how a prequel would involve them both unless it's simultaneous stories. Anyway, um, so yeah, after Mad Max, which is 2015, we then basically have The Revenant later that year, uh, Dunkirk in 2017, a really, in my opinion, underrated 
comic book movie and a really great fun Tom Hardy performance in Venom. I think that's really fun. And then uh, he's in Peaky Blinders, which I've never seen, but he's in 11 episodes of that. And then we have Capone in 2020. And yeah, so he, he's really been under the radar since, since Mad Max. I mean, in terms of major movies in the past five years, The Revenant, which isn't a lead role, Dunkirk. He got, a, he got an Oscar nomination for The Revenant, at least. As a supporting role. Yeah, but I mean, you uh, know, it's still a big role. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so the since Matt Max, The Revenant, which was also 2015, Dunkirk 2017, Venom, 11 episodes of Peaky Blinders, Capone, that's it. What, that's, what about what about Taboo? When was that? Taboo, uh, 2017 to 2020. There have been uh, nine episodes so far. Yeah, I was going to say, I know he was doing that for a while. Um. Yeah, so I don't know. It's we'll kind of crazy. He's kind of disappeared. Yeah. I'm. Well, he he disappeared into uh, shit and piss for his new role. I guess so. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's a not you for those who listened to last week's episode. Um, I'm trying. You know, to be fair, like I I watched Josh Trank's movie, and I would say he says in that article that it feels more like his first movie, and I would agree there that it does feel like someone's first movie, um, where he has a lot of style. Um, and maybe a couple cool ideas, but uh, I ultimately, like I said, I don't think there's a lot of meat actually there, and there's not a lot of substance to it. If you actually like keep watching it, I think it kind of runs out of steam pretty quickly and starts to just kind of like feel like you're watching an old man just die, you know, <laughs> like and just in the most disgusting way possible. And it's, uh, you know, it's just like I said, it was a little boring by the second half, right. but it's, it's not like an unwatchable piece of shit. And, um, I'm not, you know, I wanted to try and give it a fair shake, especially, you know, after kind of trying to, you know, stab him in the back last week. So I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll watch his movie. And, uh, so yeah, I watched it. It's not the worst thing in the world. There's, it's, there's certainly memorable parts to it. If you're uh, looking for one of those that this week to watch, uh, yeah, that's, there's worse ways you could do it. I gave it two and a half out of five. It is a 2020 film. So if you're trying to, up your stats for your year-end list because this is going to be a weird year-end list year in film for 2020 that's for damn sure well that's cool that you watched it um i will also say a movie that is in post-production so hopefully that won't delay the actual finishing of the film the release who knows but the sequel to venom venom let there be carnage is supposedly in post-production oh yes yes. to go back to tom hardy directed by andy circus yeah, that's going to be weird. I love Venom, man. Did you ever see it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I watched it once it hit video. I did not see it in theaters, but I did catch up with it. Um, yeah, it, it was funny. <laughs> she has no idea we're going to win her back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so, like, I'll have to admit, like, uh, the dumbness of it, it clearly knew it was, like, having fun, which sort oh, of, yeah. I think, let me kind of not take have a little bit more fun with it i think if it was like trying to be super serious then i would have been like this sucks but no the uh, fact the fact that it knows it's a dumb silly movie is what makes it yeah so you know well i'm very interested like i said though that's another moment where i'm like i don't know that tom hardy's giving an actual good performance here i think this is just strange these decisions he's making and uh you know i don't know obviously his performance is uh, uh, of a 
masterful journalism journalism you know that's what i took away from it just the way he can just barge with his pen into an office and be like you owe me answers sir it's just it's such a ridiculous movie but anyway i like we gotta yeah it's a ridiculous movie i'll watch let them be carnage um in in theaters if theaters are ever open again well, it's a, as of right now, it has a release date of July 2021. So if theaters aren't open by then, let's all just fucking, let's just kill ourselves. All right. So let's kind of like take a soft step into our uh, main topic today. Um, it's, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the show Neon Genesis uh, Evangelion. 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 How do you pronounce Evangelion. That's what I thought when I heard them talking in the show. I was like, I think that's how they're pronouncing it, but I don't. I don't know what the consensus was. But um, you know, before we dive too hardcore into that, I wanted to know, uh, Tom, what's your um, n- maybe not even limiting. I don't want to like get so broad into all of animation, but specifically, what's your reference points and what's your history with anime? Are you a longtime fan? Do you just know a couple things? Like, where are you coming at this from? And why? Yeah. why what? What particular and you know, yeah, what what struck you about this one that you were finally like, let's do that now? Yeah, so uh, I apologize, listeners, if I'm about to repeat what Phil said, but uh, I kind of lost you for a second. So I suggested to Phil when we um, decided to start recording season two of this pod to maybe do some, uh, you know, fill in our, our blind spots of classic pop culture. And for some reason, this one came out of my brain first, uh, even though I know neither Phil nor myself are, are diehard anime fans. But this is just a series um, that I've known about for many, many years since I was f- 15 years old or something like that. Um, yeah, I I like anime. I'm not a super fan by any means. I know kind of all the major... Um, crossover hits like the the anime stories that have become successful in america you know the ones that have kind of stayed popular in japan that my american anime friends have found out and researched i don't really know those ones personally um but the ones i end up watching i really enjoy so uh it started for me with akira the movie akira in high school I think that was the first anime feature film that I watched. Um, and then obviously getting into Miyazaki and all of his films. Big uh, Miyazaki fan. I want to say my first one was... Uh, Spirited Away. I mean, Princess Mononoke was like 97, 98. And yeah, and it, it, was, it was Princess Mononoke was the first one I saw because I got the... I rented the DVD of that from a local mom and pop store. And this was a year or two before Spirited Away was released. Because I remember when Spirited Away came out in 2002 or 2003, I was uh, anticipating it. I was familiar with it and looking forward to it. Um, so big fan of that filmmaker, big fan of the movie Akira. And then I had a, a group of friends in high school that anime was their thing. This was like, and these were very close friends of mine, especially early on in high school. Um, they they would just get together after school every day and watch Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z, and they started playing the Pokemon video games. And those series I never really got into. So that is kind of where I the demarcation point happened 
between me and anime and my anime friends. Um, I was still a fan of certain stuff, and friends would introduce me or recommend certain other titles to me. Like, I was a Cowboy Bebop fan in high school, a show that I still really enjoy watching to this day. Um, I just bought the Blu-ray set, actually, a few months ago. And um, other other series like FLCL, which is kind of this weird high school genre-bending TV show. But anyway, Neon Genesis Evangelion is kind of the holy grail, at least as far as I understand it. This is the one series that every anime friend I have ever talked to, when they say, what anime do you like? And I don't mention this. They say, oh, so you haven't seen Neon. You haven't seen NGE is what they call it. And I always say, no, I know, I really want to get to it, but the DVD is out of print, you can't stream it, blah, blah, blah. And they all say that's the best one. It's the best one. There's a, there's a TV show you have to watch, and then a movie that came out right after. You have to see those of a piece. They redefine the genre, blah, blah, blah. It's the best ever. And finally, last year, Netflix bought the streaming rights. It is now available for anyone who is curious to stream on Netflix in the United States. That's how Phil and I are watching it. And I knew that it was streaming. That's why I recommended that me and Phil watch it. And that's what we are doing. And I'm excited we are doing it. Cool. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I think it's cool. Uh, <laughs> um, like you said. I, I also like uh, Godzilla, which is not anime per se. But um, follows a lot of the same tropes. And this show in particular reminds me a lot of the, the newer Godzilla movie, Shin Godzilla. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yeah, it's from the same director. It is. He did Shin Godzilla. Yeah, he is also the voice of the lead. He's also the lead voice in The Wind Rises, which is how I primarily know him. Actually, oh shit! Okay, well, that makes perfect sense. But sorry, I didn't. I, I just wanted to put that in. Go ahead. Yeah. What were you gonna say? Oh, just you know, you had mentioned like, hey, let's talk a little bit about like our relationship to anime, and my first thought was like, well, I don't really have one. You know, like you said, I'm not really that big into it. But I guess as I was watching these episodes, I was kind of flashing back and I was not so much to anime, but I realized um, that I'd had a pretty lengthy relationship with Asian culture of various kinds and this type of the heavily influenced stuff that was um, this is being referenced to or this was eventually referenced from like I grew up really liking shit like the Giver and um, I, I don't even know if you know what that is, but um, I do not. It's like it's this Mark Hamill is in it and there's two of them. And then there was like an animated show. It was basically an R rated, a a big version of um, or an R rated version of like Power Rangers where like the this guy gets an alien suit that he can put onto him and these blades come out of his elbows and he like fights off other aliens that have landed on Earth. And uh, so it was one of those. And there was stuff like Power Rangers and Voltron and uh, these other kind of properties that kind of came over and not to mention Jackie Chan movies and all these other kind of things. But like you said, anime never really cracked through like the way those did. And I think some of it was, I think what I perceived being an American used to Disney, I think it was the the cheap animation style that probably initially threw me off, like thinking it looked like an episode of Speed Racer or whatever, just thinking it looked cheap or weird and not really... And especially, like you said, like it was subtitled on top of all that, which has never really been a problem for me, but it just seemed like one extra obstacle to overcome, you know? And mm-hmm. like, yeah, but as I was watching this, I kind of flashed back to a bunch of stuff that I used to watch as a kid. Like I watched this anime, like R-rated version of Street Fighter. I don't know if you ever saw that. Um, and all these other like 
crazy things. It, it was actually called Street Fighter. Was it a Street Fighter knockoff property? No, no, it was a Street Fighter movie. I'll, I can find the title, but yeah, there was like a Street Fighter like direct to video movie that had like boo, like like you know the usual thing like boobs and um, yeah, Street Fighter Two the animated movie is what it's called. Um, is there a Street Fighter One the animated movie? I don't believe. No, and it says it's PG thirteen, but all right, yeah, but it's like got tons of blood, and like so when you see like blades going through people, it's like much hard, much hardcore than the Jean Claude Van Damme movie. Right. And so when I when I was a kid, I was like, no, this is my Street Fighter movie. So even shit like that that I hadn't really thought of in years, I was like, yeah, I guess I did have a relationship to some of this, and like you, um, I had seen several of the big Miyazaki titles growing up, but I hadn't really done a deep dive into them until last year. Now I have a box set with all of them because I just love them all so much. And I had a really amazing time making my way through them and kind of learning about them and their culture. And, but those are, you know, very different than this type of stuff. Uh, this sort of more, I guess, violent, I mean, Mononoke is violent, but then you have something like this, which is much more, I would say pop and action oriented and, um, I know that there's a lot of ideas going on, but it's not quite... I think this one has a little bit more surface fun to be had as well. But, um, yeah, I was just... Yeah, that was what kind of came to my mind, was the cheap animation probably was what threw me off as a kid. There's, like, three and four-cell animation, and this looks like two-cell animation, and which is, like, the number of drawings per second, basically. Right. And um, yeah, yeah, anime you, anime has a lot of... Um, you know the, that low cell count <laughs> animation yeah uh, it's it's a lot of like almost what looks like still frames on reaction shots of characters and stuff like that like their reactions are frozen in time that's kind of what that effect gives off um, yeah and that's I, just that's to save money and time and they because so they don't have to draw the mouth moving they can just have somebody's hand behind their mouth and just have them talk you know and not move so it's just a still image yeah, I'm curious what the production schedule is on a lot of anime, especially shows that were week to week. Um, you know what I what I'm drawn to initially. So, uh, Neon Genesis is 26 episodes. There's also a movie that takes place after the show, or that was made after the show. Uh, we watched the first half dozen. Um, we were supposed to watch the first seven, which Phil did. I only watched six because I'm a moron. But what I've what I'm really enjoying so far, you said, um, you know comparing something like what we've seen so far of this, which is about two and a half hours worth of the show versus a Miyazaki film or something like that. And the violence kind of having that surface level entertainment and maybe something like a Miyazaki being a little deeper. I agree. And I don't agree. Like as, as someone who has seen a lot of episodes not unwillingly, but just by happenstance of hanging out with friends, of seeing a lot of episodes of Dragon Ball Z or something like that, right? 
which is almost pure pure action. Well, I, it's like I, I I don't mean. Well, hold on. I, what that's just what I was gonna say is um you know a show like that which is kind of just like pure action and fun. Neon Genesis. It's a it's a serialized show, but there also seems we seem to be dealing with a lot of episodic content. Like uh, each episode is a new big bad or a monster of the week sort of thing. There are a lot of those, and it's about defeating them, and so it's this kind of big kaiju type violence, like an Ultraman or a Godzilla episode of destruction between two giants battling among the city, and there's a bunch of war and destruction. Um, so in terms of the the action and violence, I think what you're saying is totally on point. What I'm enjoying about it more, though, is it seems like a really sad show. That It just gives me a very, very sad vibe in an interesting way. Well, and, hold on. Before you... Before you I, I want to set up the show a little bit because if someone like yeah, is listening, yeah. they don't know anything about what the show's about. So let me just really quick... Uh, the story is uh, uh, centers around this kid named Shinji who is uh, he's suddenly grabbed and he's recruited by this in the first episode he's grabbed and kind of thrown into this government agency's attempts to fight off what what are called angels they're calling it, they're called angels in the show which are basically what he was saying the kaiju these giant creatures that have attacked at various times over past decades we learned they've kind of come in different waves and they're coming faster now at this new rate and so uh they fight them off with these giant kind of skyscraper sized fighting robots that are known as the evangelians they call them evas in this show and uh the, the pilots as is often the case in these types of things have to form a kind of a physical and psychological link with the machines in order to run them which makes it dangerous for them to operate outside of just like say operating a drone or something uh so the first we watched the first i watched the first seven episodes uh, and uh, in, by the way a, a device that guillermo del toro completely ripped off in pacific Rim. yeah yeah i was, door, I was, was about to mention that yeah. this was not something <laughs> I don't remember ever seeing until I saw Pacific Rim, which obviously came out 20 years later. I mean, it is uh, like verbatim the exact same concept. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so yeah. And well, what happens is in the first uh, seven episodes, we see that Shinji has a fast connection that like mental connection. He's much faster with to quick to in the episodes. He is faster to connect to the machines than some of the other pilots who have taken longer to make this, uh, physical and mental connection. So, um, and we, for whatever reason, it's always younger kids. It's always like these teenage aged people yeah, they, who they, develop these fast connections. With yeah. These they need machines. Yeah. They need these young kids. And, uh, we learned that, uh, it may have something to do with, uh, Shinji's father, who uh, is the creator of these machines. And we also learn about some of the evil economics that are going on behind the scenes that fund these machines. We see Shinji develop relationships with fellow teens that are around and the other pilots. And yeah, that's sort of what we've seen over the last, like Tom was saying, the first seven episodes, you're kind of getting a sense of the world and these machines and these creatures. And each episode is kind of centered around fighting off a new creature that's come to fight in a sort of citywide, you know, Godzilla-esque, you know, battle between robot and creature with different obstacles each time. Um, and yeah, like you were saying, there's, because they are physically tied to the machines, The I didn't mean to imply that the violence had no consequences. I just meant like, it is still a kind of monster of the week action. Yeah, no, show. no, that's, I understand. Yeah so, um, yeah, so that's all I meant by when I was saying that earlier. But yeah, the action is because it's not just like the machine gets hit and that's it they don't feel any pain that means the kid's gonna feel some pain inside this machine so yeah the uh, kids feel a lot of pain actually they they go through 
the the show spends a lot of time really dealing with the the sacrifice beforehand of agreeing to put their body on the line for something like this and the after effect of it and how it really affects Shinju and how it really affects Ray, who's the um I guess the the girl who was initially fused to the first um Eva machine. And one thing about the plot that Phil I don't think you mentioned and the show doesn't really mention it, at least not right away. They kind of just slide this backstory in there, but it's super, super important to the show is um, when they're talking about these angel monster aliens, whatever they are, they have a theory about what happened. This is what we're seeing in the show is the second wave of it, right? So the the show, which came out in the mid-90s, the actual plot takes place in 2015, and it's 15 years after this first attack by these these angel beings. And they've basically created a catastrophic uh, global warming type event where the Antarctica melted, a bunch of tsunamis and hurricanes wiped out. I think they say, they say in the show like 2 billion people died. And then it also led to a second nuclear war and more bombs were dropped. And then from that destruction, with half of the world basically wiped out, the remaining members of the human race were somehow able to band together and not only create these massive like kaiju robots to fight uh, the angels if they ever come back, which they finally do 15 years later in the present day when the show takes yeah. place. Yeah, they canceled able- the apocalypse. They, they've canceled the apocalypse, but they've also, uh, they've been able to build these cities. Like, they, there's a city called Tokyo 3, which is able to hide under the Earth's surface. Yeah, the to, skyscrapers, like, rise up from the ground. Yeah, skyscrapers kind of rise and descend underground to protect themselves from, you know, a sudden unannounced angel attack and stuff like that. So it's a whole world that's dealing with this, like, the aftermath of a trauma, of a of just a world wrecking event and it kind of made it really interesting to watch it right now as we're in the middle of a pandemic because obviously i think maybe it was unintentional maybe not but this is obviously a great show to watch and think about global warming and the possible outcome of what may happen if it's allowed to go unchecked and also what the human response might be. And that's why the show, uh, what I said earlier before I even recognize the director connection, why it reminded me a lot of Shin Godzilla, because if, uh, did you ever see that Phil? No, I haven't seen that one. I I've, it's been recommended to me. I've seen all all the other new ones. Yeah. I've seen the other newer ones. I just, that was the one I, I missed and probably the one. Yeah. Like you said, I would probably like the most. Yeah, because Shin Godzilla is all about... It's basically another resetting of Godzilla, but instead the focus of that movie is all about the political response. Specifically Japan, but also how it coordinates with other countries. So it's a lot of uh, uh, members of the military and members of the government in control rooms figuring out how to deal with the threat. So it's interesting in that way, and that's what this show is about a lot. But yeah... um, so since there's this backdrop of just complete massive loss everywhere, every character is kind of tainted by that, especially the main characters that we follow. Shinju, the main boy. Rei, who's probably my favorite character. You mentioned that Shinju has a couple of schoolmate buddies that he befriends. But before he's able to 
befriend them. One of them just beats the shit out of him because Shinju was contro- controlling one of the Eva machines and that school kid's sister got massively hurt in the wreckage. So it's dealing with, instead of just being a silly, you know, Angel versus Eva battle that where windows are blowing up left and right on buildings, they focus the plot of the next episode on, yeah, you were in that machine thinking you were saving our city, but my sister is still like unconscious in hospital because of what she did. So it's a lot of dealing with stuff like that in a really interesting way. So did you like it? I did. I'm a big fan. I'm I'm super interested. Um, I know it, it's kind of weird because this is a show that's been recommended to me for 15 years. So finally sitting down to watch it, I'm excited to watch it. And I also, I just, I know that there's something about the end of this show, you know, like it's one of those shows that I've been told over and over again, like just wait till you finish it. So I know there's something, uh, supposedly something big and mind blowing is is gonna happen eventually. Um, so I'm giving it a lot of rope, maybe more than I would other pieces of entertainment, because I just trust all the people who have recommended it to me. Like so many people have recommended it to me this show, and over so many years that I just. I'm putting all of my my trust in those recommendations. But that's not to say that I'm not enjoying it on its own merits right now. I think I was starting to read this essay uh, before we recorded, and I didn't finish it, but I will before our next recording so we can talk about it when we do our little neon segment. Um, but the writer of this essay, which is a series of essays on Mubi.com, M-U-B-I, was talking about how... Uh, the creator of this show was basically trying to fuse his love of kaiju stories and uh, like an apocalyptic scenario involving giant monsters and his own battle with chronic depression. And that kind of uh, dictated a lot of the visual language. And I think to me so far, at least through these first half dozen episodes, some of the most striking imagery of this ep- of the show is it gets really kind of like dark in these sudden flashes of like unbridled rage. Like there are moments where Shinju, who's this really meek young boy who isn't like your standard hero who raises his hand and says, I'll take care of it. Like, let me be your hero. He tries to run away. Like there's literally one scene in one early episode Uh, that's a several minute sequence of they've just lost track of him and he's just riding a train station all the way to one end of basically to one end of Japan not knowing what to do just knowing that he's scared and doesn't want to be involved and he pretty much reaches the end of the line and realizes that he has nowhere to go he has no family besides this horrible dad who is purely using him for his abilities to control this giant machine and the dad even says as much to him like i don't i don't love you you're just needed here and he reaches the end of this train line and is like i guess i gotta go back because i got i got nowhere else to go it's really sad and there are really sad moments like that um and then when he's in this machine and he's fused to this like massively powerful human creation he lets out these like really bursts of like yells of anger and the screen gets super red and then suddenly the action gets very violent and people are scared of him and it's these weird emotional like 
uh, high wire acts that the show's doing, um, which is what's really drawing me to the show. Like the 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 example of that character dealing with his cowardice and like rage that's kind of bubbling to the surface that you can tell this kid has been trying to uh, keep down below the surface, and then the other main pilot of these machines, this girl Ray, who's basically she seems dead inside, like she is just a lifeless husk of a human being. She just does what she's told. She has no emotions whatsoever until recently, the last episode I watched, you realize she has this extreme loyalty to Shinju's father, basically the architect of this uh, this operation with these giant machines because he saved her life when uh, a test in the machine was going wrong. She was about to be burned alive and he basically uh, singed his hands to open up a padlock door and save her. And ever since then, she is just become completely loyal to him and you get the sense that she is literally alone i mean at least shinju has been able to make two friends in class she sits in the corner of the classroom completely by herself she never talks to anybody all she has is this guy who hopefully cares for her in an appropriate way we don't know yet but beyond that she has nothing in this world and it seems like they're finally starting to develop a relationship so that angle of focusing on the depressive sides of uh, characters who should be our heroes and hopefully uh, working, taking the long route to like earning a relationship and a friendship between them is something that I'm really looking forward to. Cool. Well, I mean, yeah, I like you. I guess I'm pretty... Uh... I guess like because of its reputation, I'm giving it some rope, like you said. And I did read in a lot of, um, I, I'm I'm not reading about what happens in the show, but I did read that uh, in the process of making the show that around episode 16 or so is where it really splits from the original source material, and that's when apparently he started getting extremely strange and kind of really going on in, into a new weirder direction. So I think there is a part of me that's like, all right, well, you know, let's hang on till then and. Uh, maybe then, not that I don't find it, you know, good so far, but, you know, so far I'm not like, oh, this is transcendent. This is clearly the best anime ever made. Because, you know, I, obviously, one, I haven't seen them all. And two, it's all largely set up. Um, I do find the show pretty easy to watch in terms of it's serialized. So the way it's doing most episodes is a to, to be continued where obviously there's like a big moment of the attack or a big dramatic moment that's about to happen. And then that's the to be continued. And then with Netflix set up the way it is, it's just like, Hey, in 10 seconds, the next episode's starting. So it just dives right into the next one. And they kind of, it, it it's, it's highly serialized. So you do just watch it in order. It's basically like one long movie for the most part, but um, Netflix yeah. has to slow their roll on that. Yeah. That like transition between episodes they give you three seconds to hit pause or decide to watch the end credits. Like sometimes I, I want to take a minute, you know? Yeah. They don't, that they should, don't give you that minute. It, it's disrespectful to the credits as well. They gotta, they gotta chill on that. It's, it's too extreme. Like you can, you can make it a 15 second countdown or something. Netflix, come on. I wouldn't be surprised if in future, uh, like writers guild or directors guild or whatever guild strike that happens that they're like, Hey, you, those credits need to be seen. They're not there just to like, you know, they're they're contractually put there because they have to be. But if you're just like so easily able to d disregard them and never witness them, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised with like, no, you, you know, they need to not be cut off as soon as they start or something. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. 
You know um, Netflix did some lifeless study where they realized if we force the next episode of something on somebody or another movie, they're, if, if it starts before they can reach their remote control, they're 8% more likely to just continue watching or some bullshit. Yeah. Well, so as for this, you know, to be honest, like like you said, this was not on my radar before you mentioned it. I had heard of it. That's about it. I am not a giant anime guy, not because I don't like it, but just because... It was just not one of the aspects that intrigued me, which is, I guess, sort of weird only because I like samurai movies so much and I like, uh, you know, kung fu as and as much as I love, uh, you know, ozu or whatever. Like, I love that. I love stuff that has come out of the Japanese culture uh, and I, you know, love so much of the all of it. So it's just one of those things that was kind of a blind spot. So I'm interested to keep watching it i suppose i still have maybe it's just the the ripple effects of the in, of the influences because the whole time i'm watching it i was remembering robot jocks i don't know if you ever watched that one as a kid um but yeah then there was like voltron and power rangers and of course i was thinking about like man like uh like you said Guillermo del Toro really ripped this off and I was having those thoughts of course about Pacific Rim and yeah so I'm I'm, in, I'm intrigued by the show I'm enjoying it uh, I definitely am curious to see what weirdness we have in store I can see the seeds of it being like you said a psychologically driven more serious kind of intellectual version it's a little bit more than just fighting monsters so you know yeah I'm, I'm let's keep going down the road also if anyone's I mean a that that's a big reason why I decided to suggest this title because i'm probably maybe a slightly bigger between manga and anime i'm a slightly bigger fan than you but i'm also not a big fan at all um and i thought it would be good to kind of tip our toes dip our toes into something that neither of us are too familiar with um but i also want to say if anyone's interested in following along we're going to finish this show and watch the movie which is also uh streaming on netflix over the next few episodes and it's right there. It's free to watch. We're all stuck at home. And also that I think, I don't know if you would agree. The pilot episode is really great. It like, like, like how I said the, um, the backstory, they kind of just sneak in over the course of the first few episodes. It is not this big narrative setup with the voiceover saying 15 years ago, the aliens or the angels came down, you know, it just starts right off with an action sequence. You're just thrown into the shit right away. And the uh, the end of the first episode, which every episode is only 23 or 24 minutes long, the end of the pilot also ends on a great action cliffhanger, too. So I think it's a it's a great pilot to really get you in the mood of what you're about to see. And then from there, it just gets a little more complex while also dealing with, you know, it is a show from pre-2000, so it is much more X-Files in, uh, in structure than, say, something like the Sopranos where it's a, yeah, they they have more monster of the week episodes, but that's okay. I like those episodes too. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I have it in me to honestly to review every, you know, all the movies separately on the show. Maybe we'll have to like wrap that. We're going to wrap all that in with the like final episode or something. I believe Uh, they're not because there's two movies, right? Um, I think there's a, uh, there's, there's this show, there's one movie specifically that deals directly with the end of the show. And then I think there's a second movie that that happened years later that's kind of like a spinoff or something. But, I mean, this this episode is obviously a shorter release that we just wanted to focus on anime and neon genesis. Um, 
you know, in the coming weeks, we'll just kind of catch up and do little segments about where we're at in the show. And then when we finally finish this series and watch that end of Evangelion movie, um, we'll do a segment there and wrap it up. But yeah, they're not going to be, it's not going to be four podcasts specifically focused on this show. No. Yeah, I, I think um, I think since you're asking me to watch like a 14-hour thing, I, I should come up with like a stuffy British costume drama to make you watch after this or something. Go for it, man. You throw some suggestions out there. I, I said Gone with the Wind. And you're like, I'm not watching Gone with the Wind. I said not that week, but I, I had said Gone with the Wind at the beginning when we talked about Blind Spots. I'm down to do Gone with the Wind. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not not that long right it's a short movie yeah it's three hours and 50 minutes or something is it it's not four hours but it's close oh uh, yeah i've not i've not seen it I, I don't know it's somewhere it's somewhere around there yeah so what else uh, have you done pop culture wise this week anything fun um well uh, yeah i mean if you want to you want to i can recommend some stuff you want to just call it an end to the the neon genesis of the week and uh head into some wrap-ups and recommendations yeah, I, and I, I, i'll say oh well, say? well one last question are you watching it japanese audio english subs or are you doing the dubbed version uh subtitled me too um i started both i did i started it with japanese the original japanese audio track and then halfway through the pilot i switched over to the english dub just to see if i preferred it and i always enjoy um with anime in particular, I always enjoy watching a few minutes of the English dub with the English subtitles on to see how different they are. Yeah, yeah. Because it's honestly, you will be shocked how much they change from what you're yeah, reading on the subtitles not, yeah, versus they what can't you do hear. Literal, yeah, they can't do literal word-for-word word translations because like, of the complexity of the languages and structure changes of sentences and us not having certain words. So they kind of have to like... It's like the Bible, you know, it depends on who's adapting it that day. Yeah, I, I just think, I don't even think it's that they can't do it. I just think uh, in, when they when you dub something, I think the the dubbers are given more freedom to kind of play and make it sound natural coming out of their mouths, which is obviously when you're reading something, it can be a little more strict with the language because you don't have to hear it. And it's a little more um, forgiving versus when you hear something and if something doesn't sound natural it really just doesn't sound natural and there's nothing you can do to fix it but it's it was an interesting thing but yeah ultimately i am listening to the japanese as well but i think if you want to watch it with the english dub for anime i think that's in general i think that's okay so i would recommend people give it a shot especially if you've never really watched an anime before give it a try what else you got to do that's all i'll say Cool. All right. Um, well, in terms of like wrap up and recommendations, uh, I've been um, doing my usual, just watching a lot, reading a lot. Um, because my project deals with a certain thing, I've been watching a lot of Spike Lee movies and uh, catching up with uh, some other blind spots uh, like a certain Carl. thing, you say. Yes. Um, it deals with <laughs> a certain thing. Interesting. Yeah, so I watched Jungle Fever. I watched Clockers last night. Oh, um, Jungle I, Fever. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to watch probably Bamboozled later. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I watched Cane River this week. Um, which, what, is, uh, what is Cane River? I don't know that one. It is a uh, 1982 black romance uh, about a black couple in this place called Cane River in the South. Um, it's about this poet who wants to... Uh, 
it's like a Romeo and Juliet esque. Like they don't they don't like his his uh, last name because his family comes from slave owners and stuff. Even though he's black, and uh, it's this whole thing. It's this really indie 1982 lo-fi, low-budget movie that just got restored. It's on Criterion, and uh, it's a really interesting slice of life. It's it's pretty, you know, there's some stiff acting, and it's low-budget, and has some pretty funny song choices, but it was pretty fascinating, and so, yeah, I've been watching stuff like that. Um, oh, you, if there's... you know what you should watch? I'm sure you've seen it already, but uh, Brother from Another Planet, the John Oh, yeah, movie. yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, I, I, that's it's not a uh, not on my list to revisit, but maybe I should add it on there. I haven't. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that since uh, shit like Nifa year somewhere around there, and uh, yeah. But and in terms of new movies to watch, I would on Hulu. There's a movie called Spaceship Earth, which is uh, basically the like true story of the people that created Biodome. Like the it's like a real life Biodome from the Pauly Shore movie, except. I didn't realize that it actually happened in real life in like the early nineties. Yeah. And um, so the doc follows the, this biosphere that's created in the Arizona desert, uh, which is created by this crazy group of scientists who are, have the intent of like, if we ever make it to Mars, we're going to need to be able to make a sustainable in-house, you know, livable system. So they're trying to do that here on earth. And they set about trying to do that. And the doc follows them through the process. And, you know, obviously things go awry because, you know, we don't have a bunch of space pods right now. And uh, it's it's an interesting look. It's a pretty standard talking heads like with, you know, historical footage playing behind them type documentary. But it was an interesting true story. But, uh, you know, that's on Hulu, easily ac- uh, accessible. I would uh, recommend that. I would also uh, highly, 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 highly recommend it's maybe my number one movie of the year right now. It's called Driveways. It is a very, very small movie. You can rent it on video on demand, and it is like eighty-three minutes long or something. Let me let me pull it up. It's yeah, it's eight. Oh yeah, eighty-three minutes long. It's got Hong Chow uh, in it of downsizing and an inherent inherent vice fame, mm-hmm. and uh, and Brian Dennehy, and is uh, one of the last movies Brian Dennehy filmed before passing away last month, and he plays the neighbor uh hong chow and her young son go to mtl hong chow's now deceased sister's house and she finds out that her sister has kind of been a hoarder and she didn't realize that about her and it becomes about this couple weeks that this mother has to go about unloading her dead sister's house and selling off her remains and taking care of uh that property and meanwhile her lonely son befriends the old man next door played by brian dennehy and i think just based on that description it sounds like a pretty standard precious like indie movie that you've probably sure seen a hundred times yeah i know it does and i think that's probably all i expected from it but then when you watch the movie it's just like jesus it's like it's like an ozu or something it's like somebody with just such a perfect delicate handle on emotion and tenderness and uh, Brian Dennehy, especially the fact that he just died, I think really adds to the performance in a unique way. It's about an old man who's facing the end of his life uh, and being alone. And it's just so uh, sad and touching. And it's the absolute best version of that kind of movie. And yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough. I Like I said, I cried for like 40 minutes of those 83 minutes. It's just It's just so sweet and good. And it's not a sad movie so much as it's just like wise and kind of somber um, but it's also got plenty to laugh at plenty of great stuff it's a great performance from brian dennehy i can't recommend it enough 
like I said, I know it sounds probably like, you know, indie crap to you, but you, I think, would probably really, really, really like it if you give it a chance. Well, I'm sure I would, especially because you just mentioned that um, there's there's some stuff to laugh at, too. I think the biggest trap those types of movies fall into is they take themselves way too seriously, and they kind of forget that life is always, on some level, kind of absurd or funny, you know? It's really, it's all, it's just all about perspective. So if your perspective is right, if you have the right head on your shoulders as the creative force behind it, you can make any story watchable and, and fascinating. But speaking of that, who do we know is the director or the writer is anybody that we, it's, we would his know? Name's An- his name's Andrew On. He made this movie called uh, Spa Night, which I have not seen, but um, he's just a, it's a, it's sec- his second film. I, yeah. So okay. it's a yeah, very Spa Night movie. sounds familiar, but I've definitely never seen it. Yeah. To, um, just to give an example of like where the movie kind of zagged, where a different movie wouldn't have is Brian Dennehy is playing a Korean war veteran. And you know that right away because he's sitting on his front porch with a Korean vet hat on okay. and this and Hong Chow and her son are clearly an Asian family uh, who are going to be spending a lot of time next door. And I think I kind of instantly, was like, Oh fuck, is this going to be a grand Torino thing? You know, or I didn't really know what I was in for, but I don't think the fact that they're Asian comes up once I don't think he mentions it once in the movie, you know, like those small, those small touches that I was just like, Oh, thank God. Thank you for not making that a thing. You know, that's not at all. Like it's just there as a detail and it kind of, you know, like informs that character a little bit, gives you a sense of his history, but also like, it's not just going to play that like, Oh, he's going to those, he's still holding grudges from back then type thing. So, you know, the movie kind of surprised me constantly and it's just, it knows how to, pull emotion from you so i am definitely going to be mentioning it as we get further along into the year i have a you know it's well it's, i got so, that, that's good because i gotta start doing um i gotta start watching some new movies man i don't even yeah, know if i, I have 10 i counted year. for you last night you have watched 10 movies from this year i've watched okay so i have a top 10 you have a top 10 it includes uh fantasy island it includes uh, oh i love fantasy island what was the one i already i already forgot it it came out in january like with fucking uh what's her name uh oh the tiffany haddish movie yeah um that is the worst. that i don't care how many more i see that is the worst movie of 2020 like uh, a boss like a boss that was when i was like he saw like a boss that's one it's gonna be in his top 10 <laughs> that was that was, that was before the the rona hit i thought i could see whatever i wanted to oh god that movie was so terrible so unfunny man she needed Maybe she'll use this time off to re- reconsider her career path because Tiffany Haddish is so funny, she's so talented, and she has been picking garbage. And she is overdoing it, man. She's burning herself out on people, I think. I mean, how, but like you have like Kevin Hart. He appears in 10 movies a year, and like eight of them are bombs that no one, I feel like, sees. But I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I, but I, I guess I feel the same way about Kevin Hart, too. But maybe it's not affecting him, so... I guess I'm full of shit, but I don't know. I, I love, I love Tiffany Haddish. She really makes me laugh, but she's been in like six straight movies that I've seen and I think are just absolutely terrible. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. In or this year you have seen bad boys too, uh-huh. or I'm sorry, but you've seen bad boys for life, birds of prey, Gretel and Hansel, Sonic, the hedgehog, invisible man, fantasy Island, and the way back and elephant. Those that, that, that's your, that's, that's your only, list for the year. That's only eight. That maybe I didn't scroll back for. Oh, I didn't go to. I forgot about like a boss and underwater. 
Oh uh, yeah, we saw Underwater together, right? So my number my... one, my number one is definitely Invisible Man from that <laughs> me very meager list. Elephant's good if people have the Disney Channel app. Uh, you can stream Elephant for free. Did you see the big news? We didn't talk about that at all about the Disney app next month, July third. Oh, Hamilton, right? Hamilton's coming. That's gonna be a that that's gonna crash the fucking app. This is fascinating to me. If we had more time, I have a hard out. Um, speaking of movies, I am going to the drive-in movie theater in uh, in an hour. Awesome. What are you seeing? Seeing Bloodshot. <laughs> uh, it's it's um. It's I, a 2020 I movie. I will I've get, seen it. I will I've move like it. a boss off my list. I guarantee yeah. it. I've seen Bloodshot. I can talk to you about Bloodshot. Did you like it at all or no? Um, I will say it surprised me and. Here's I, I don't want to spoil it. I would just say the first half of the movie is suspiciously dumb. And you will find there there it's it's smart about it's it knows it's dumb. Okay. It just uh, so if you're watching the first like twenty minutes, like, oh, this is garbage, just, like hold in there. It surprised me. It, it, like it, it went somewhere. It it knows why it's being dumb. Phil, so just Phil, honestly, I'm just so excited that I'm actually gonna be seeing something not in my house. Nah, well that I, I'm going to go sit outside in a car and watch a movie on a screen that is not mine. I'm so excited. Uh, like, it, I have a I have a plan. Good. Go do it. I have a plan. Um, but yes, uh, Hamilton, they filmed three, uh, three different performances of Hamilton back in 2016 when the original cast, including Lin-Manuel, was still there. They have cut it together into one big... Uh, nice professional looking performance and uh, initially Disney had plans to release it theatrically in October of 2021 and they yeah. they moved it up to a streaming premiere on the Disney app July 2020 it will be out in less than two months um, that is a massive news story I mean not only because it's arguably the most successful musical in Broadway history coming to an app so millions of people who never got to see it before will finally be able to but uh especially and many more who have seen it on broadway like me will finally get to see the whole thing with the original cast like by the time i got to see it on broadway lynn was gone um i've not seen it so i you know disney's gonna have like the full version then like a sing-along version with all the lyrics and shit they're gonna like have different versions but it, it also says so much about what companies are needing to do right now like this this definitely was not something disney wanted to do they're not excited about this move this is a desperation move well the i don't i mean desperation slash they see an opportunity like look we everyone is at home and they're going to be home and we need content that is going to drive people to our app and compete especially with stuff like because peacock and hbo max are coming out hbo max specifically so i think this is going to be just another targeted way for them to like cancel out subscriptions to that and drive subscriptions towards them because people are gonna be like oh hamilton's on whatever like and maybe they're hoping that overrides the like news that oh hey friends is available again over at hbo max yeah but also think i think they're looking at it from the long view as well because i think Places are starting to realize this is not going. Coronavirus is not going away in two months. Yeah, this is. But here, I think this it's is here different. for a year, and yeah, that means a lot of the stuff that they had on on deck to shoot, they're not going to be able to shoot. And I think that's a big reason why this is coming out now, because I think they're looking in the long view and saying, "Shit, what do we have 
for December and January now, we got to just front load this and pray and pray and pray and pray that the restrictions will ease and we can start shooting shit eventually because we have nothing coming up, coming out in six months. So we got to keep people busy until then. Well, that and they need it's also a matter of their clearing their schedule to put a new Disney property in there. Maybe they'll put Captain or, uh, you know, I can't believe I'm Scarlet Witch. Maybe they'll put Scarlet Witch there, you know, in that October slate that they already have now that they have that empty uh, because they're probably looking at it like, hey, this is something that we paid. It's already paid for. It's already shot. It's already complete. Like we can use it as a business strategy now and compare that to what the millions more we might have made. They're substituting the millions they would have made in a theatrical release to hopefully use that to instead drive people to their app, which is more important right now in the age of coronavirus. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely speaking to all of those things, and we'll just keep following it, buddy. But it's 6 o'clock, so I think that's the show for this week. Time to go, baby. I'm off to the drive-thru. I will report back. We're gonna Next week is all about Bloodshot. Okay. okay. Uh, we'll talk about it. Uh, Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every one of those helps us out incredibly. Thank you, Zach Pitts, for the theme music. Please check out our... No, don't check out our Facebook page. I'm not doing that. Uh, leave a, leave us some comments wherever you find us. Uh, let us know what you think. Check us out on YouTube as well. Tom, tell us where to find you. Bindi, Tom, Bindi, Instagram. Big Fat Bond, Twitter. Nice. And I am... Nice. I am Phil underscore Wiedenhaft at Twitter. I will not uh, tweet much, but I will read your tweets. Uh, hopefully I will talk to you later. Tom, I'll see you next week. Uh, have fun at that drive through buddy. Thank you, dude. Love you, everybody. Watch Neon Genesis. It's worth watching. Adios. Bye.